and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson, and I'm your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here, we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in, and may the Lord bless this episode in particular greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. Well, and as usual, today I am joined by Jason Rowland, one of our pastors here at Believers. Jason, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Duffy. Good to be back with you and record another episode of Old Dead Guys. I'm looking forward to it. We've been doing a lot of reading, and uh, today, as you've already seen on the title, we're going to be talking about a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, we have a lot to talk uh, about with him, but I wanted to ask you, Jason, before we kind of jump into all the detail of his life and his impact, uh, when's the first time you came across the name Martin Lloyd-Jones? Right. Well, and maybe it would be helpful just to say that he he was a Welsh Congregationalist. Um, He was a pastor that was probably the most influential in the 20th century in the United Kingdom. So um, as far as your question, I remember two particular things that would uh, be um, my introduction to his life and his ministry. One is the Sermon on the Mount book. I think I was doing a Sermon on the Mount series in my preaching at that time, uh, and I can't even remember what what years that was, but at that time, I used his book, The Sermon on the Mount, as one of our, my resources. Yeah, and study. just for listeners, it's basically a, a compilation of sermon transcripts, essentially, that he preached at one point on the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Very good. Right. But probably the most influential um, emphasis that that was on my life with him was during my doctoral work at Southern Seminary. This would have been 2009, 10, 11, 12, in that time frame um, where I was assigned the book Preachers, uh, Preaching and Preachers. And it was just a book that... Um, we read as um, part of the, the, the work there in which um, he, in, in the book, talks about um, the act of preaching. He talks about the preacher. He talks about the character of the message. He talks about the preparation of the preacher, the preparation of the sermon. Um, he talks about illustrations, all of the different aspects that you think about when you think of preaching. And uh, so there's a, that was probably the most influential work that he had done um, that has impacted even the way that I think about preaching and preparation today. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and I think I remember uh, I came across his name. I'm fairly confident in saying this, but I know that Mark Dever with Nine Marks Ministries, um, well, I got introduced to them quite a while back, but I remember him speaking very highly of him, and he references Lloyd-Jones and his writings uh, he has a uh, he had a great impact on Dever, and so I, I think I've come across that name probably ten years ago or so uh, with that, and I've got several things that I've collected along the way. So a man that's certainly been impactful to both of us, probably in different ways, um, and and has been impactful to many others 
in various ways as well throughout right. the last right. really 50 years, 60 years. Right. He died in 1981. Correct. And so there's, um, since then, I think his popularity, at least in some circles, it's not going to be in the most um, common mm-hmm. uh, Christian circles, mm-hmm. but in some circles of Christianity, uh, Reformed circles and others, uh, he's become very popular. Kind of kind of after his death, even, with his right. writings being published. Banner of Truth uh, has, has helped to bring him... Uh, to the popular level, in a sense, with their writings and their books and things. Right. I mean, his most popular writing is probably, if it's not preaching and preachers, um, it would be Spiritual Depression was another book that he did. Yes. His um, series of sermons on the book of Romans, 14 volumes. And Ephesians. And Ephesians. Those are very popular. We hadn't even talked about those yet. Uh, His his collections of sermons that have been in print, like like the Sermon on the Mount, those have been just... Imp- greatly impactful to many pastors and, and laymen as well. Right, right. He spent the last 13 years of his life um, just preparing his mm-hmm. sermons to be printed. Yeah. And uh, I believe the first volume of Romans came out in 1970 mm-hmm. or maybe early 70s, 71, 72, in that time frame because he retired from Westminster in 1968. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think that's a good segue. Let's do a little bit of a snapshot of his life and his ministry. Um, we we already mentioned that he was a uh, he lived in the 20th century, almost completely. He was actually born in 1899, right. so he goes back to the 19th century for a year. <laughs> uh, but he lived from 1899 and died in 1981. And if you do math, okay, he lived a long life. That's a that's a long life. Uh, he was born and raised in uh, in Wales, if I'm not mistaken there, in England. Uh, lived his whole life there uh, in England and um, born and raised in a bit of a poverty situation. Um, he, I don't know if you have anything to add yeah, it's, there. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, his dad owned a bakery in sort of a postal um, um, business and... Um, they weren't really into spiritual things. They were more into politics. Uh, when he was 14, Lloyd-Jones were talking about, he became interested in spiritual awakenings that happened in Welch. So in the United Kingdom, uh, well, uh, um, the, the Welch movement of revivals and revivalism in Wales, um, that became something he began to read about. Um, but it never did really have any spiritual impact on him. It was more just an interesting thing for him, right? Right, right. Now, when he was 16, he goes to London Mm -hmm. to enter into uh, a medical profession. He goes to the University of London, Bart's or St. Bartholomew's uh, Medical Hospital, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was the premier hospital in the United Kingdom, uh, perhaps even... Uh, in the world at that time, but he was um, very intelligent, really uh, uh, able to think um, and be logical in his um, He was very bright, studies. very sharp. Yes, uh, yes. A bit of a prodigy, yes. some would say, yep. in the medical field. There. Right. He progressed quickly. Very quickly. And um, it was a 10-year program. Mm-hmm. So when he's 16, he, he goes all the way through the yep. program for 10 years. Yeah. 
That's and incredible. <laughs> it really is. He, he, I think it actually took him 11 years. Yeah. Um, and he, he became associated or connected to the Royal Physicians. Um, uh, the Royal Physician was um, a guy by the name of Thomas Horder. <clears throat> and Thomas Horder was really the premier surgeon. He was the the best medical examiner. Um, and he noticed... Uh, Lloyd Jones's ability, and uh, he lauded him. He encouraged him. Um, he was um, very diligent in his work, and I, I, I think that this is really the um, beginning of Lloyd Jones beginning to observe pay attention to every detail, think carefully about everything that he sees, uh, observes uh, um, diligently, and that made a difference in the way that he preached. Yeah, I know that it's been said by many, when you listen to, and if you've heard a sermon, he's very methodical and analytical in in his treatment of the biblical text. He takes you deep into the biblical text, and I think that certainly comes from his medical background. But let's uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about he was converted. Uh, hey, his, Duffy, oh, I'm going to interrupt sure, you. I yeah. got a little in- interesting little tidbit. Go, go ahead. Go um, ahead. About his life in um, in the feature film by Media Gratia. Uh, it's called Logic on Fire, which, which we would commend to you. Yes, please watch it. Yes, and uh, it's the life and legacy of um, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones and Anthony. Um, Matina, mm-hmm. is that his name? Mm-hmm. Matina, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He is one of the um, men that is interviewed about Lloyd-Jones, and he tells the story. I thought it was interesting that if you're familiar with Sherlock Holmes, mm. Sherlock Holmes is um, patterned after a doctor from St. Bartholomew's Hospital. Oh, fascinating. And if you know anything about Sherlock Holmes, you know he observed everything. That was the key component of his um, detective work. He would observe the most minute detail. Sure. And uh, so I thought and it was solved interesting. solved the mystery, right? And, and solved the ministry. So the mystery. So um, Lloyd-Jones' ministry okay. uh, makes sense. So he's the, he's the, the doctrinal Sherlock here. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Yeah. Mr. Holmes. Right, right. That's very neat. Yeah. Well, there's there's other things that we could probably say, but this is not obviously a comprehensive episode. We just want to introduce you to Martin Lloyd Jones, and so the, the, we want to spend the majority of our episode talking about his theological and pastoral impact. But he did uh, he he was converted uh, according to my notes about 1924, 25. Yeah, in the well, he was it was it had to do he was uh, late into his do- uh, doctor work his, at his studies. Yes. And he was converted, and he had a, a huge burden to go back to his people where he was born and raised to bring the gospel to them. Right. And there's a lot that could be said there, but... Well, here's a couple <clears throat> of interesting uh, tidbits to that. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, um, as, in his study as a physician, he began to realize and, and uh, understand that you could help men with their physical condition, but what about their pride? What about their self-righteousness? Mm-hmm. What about their lust? And uh, it, it began to weigh on him and stir in his heart. And um, for a long time, at the end of his 
uh, physician's training and, and work, he struggled with that because he 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 felt like that there was more to a man's life than just his physical condition. That's right. That's right. He started having a bit of a cognitive dissonance there with, I want to help, and this may help, but there's got it. There's something deeper yes. with man. Right. That's right. So one night he went to, um, he, he was attending, by the way, Westminster Chapel, mm-hmm. and um, he was hearing sermons, and uh, it was helping him to think through that and how to... Uh, um, think about what it is to be a Christian because he really didn't understand Christianity. He didn't understand that regeneration was necessary for a person to become a Christian. And he was beginning to hear the sermons about that. One night he went to the theater. He was invited to watch a, a play at a theater with some friends. He didn't really want to go, but you know how that is. He went. Yep, uh, yep. Um, and as they were leaving the theater, he came out and he across the road saw and heard a Salvation Army band Mm. singing hymns. Mm. And he said in his own words that it just kind of hit him. There's two different worlds. They're living in one world, and here I am in another world. Mm. I just came out of this theater, and they're singing hymns about eternal things, about things of... Um, significance and importance that have to do with a man's soul. The deep questions of life. Right. That's right. And so I think that that began to solidify his conversion. 1924, 1925, you said that he began to get a burden for the people back in Wales. Yes, that's right. And and he, he wound up leaving the he, medical... He did not pursue the medical industry no, at all. No. He wound up going to a church that was called Sandfield Chapel in a little coastal city in mm-hmm. Wales that was uh, primarily uh, poor, um, very industrial city, but, but a lot of... Um, a benevolence needs, but sure. he went to a church there to begin his ministry, and he wound up staying there until about 1939, but it was an effective ministry. That's where he began to preach, as we know, uh, yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yeah, Expository he, he began his preaching, and that's where he, he, um, he actually became really renowned, even in that time frame. Right. Uh, he'd be, his, his people started talking about you know, this man, this preacher, people started to want to come to hear him. Right. Uh, preaching at that time was uh, very um, amusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, um, there was entertainment, a lot of theatrics, and, um, music, dance. Those kinds of things were part of preaching. It had Preaching had languished down to church service, was very um, just rote, um, and there wasn't a lot of passion. It wasn't, it wasn't deep either. Right. And so he then comes to this church, Sandfield Chapel, and uh, the first thing he does is um, remove all the singers, um, remove the platforms and the staging that was done for the theatrics. He removed all that so that preaching could be the main emphasis. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that was a shock to the people. It was a change. You can imagine oh, the yeah. uh, uh, consternation of the people and some of the pushback. I can imagine that probably wasn't very well received, no, or at least no, initially. No. Uh, but as he began to preach, as he began to put his skills of medicine 
into the preaching of the word, um, people begin to take notice. Um, There begin to be a very uh, uh, real understanding of the the need for preaching to get back to uh, exalting Christ. That's right. And so um, a lot of my information that I was reading and that I was pulling from was actually written by his grandson, Christopher Catherwood, in this small uh, kind of life overview uh, printed by Crossway. It's a great little book. I, I would actually recommend it to anyone who's wanting to read a little bit more into his life. But a lot of my information that I got personally was from this. And uh, Catherwood, his grandson, says that uh, even uh, in the 30s, as he was preaching at this small little church, he became well-known as a preacher. And he was actually asked to come uh, overseas to America to give a, a series of lectures on preaching. He was invited to Westminster Theological Seminary, which is outstanding considering he was a, you know, a little-known uh you know, he did not have world renown in that sense, uh, but uh, then he would be uh, kind of uh, seen and noticed by G. Campbell Morgan in London, uh, and he asked Lloyd Jones to come be a part of his ministry and to be a kind of a co-pastor at uh, Westminster Chapel in London. And so that kind of segues us into the next phase. After the '30s, he became he came on uh, as a pastoral. Uh, staff or right, he was a minister he, in 1938 is when he joined. Right, that was uh, just I think he was installed as the associate pastor one day mm-hmm. before World War Two right. started. <laughs> That's so right. And so um, he preached and ministered uh, in London during the Second World War. And one of the interesting things that um, happened at that time, he was preaching, um, and he wasn't preaching regularly because. G. Campbell Morgan was That's the right. pastor. That's right. But he, he would preach um, Sunday morning, and he was preaching a particular sermon um, in which he was lining out uh, a lot of background material and just setting the stage. Um, and he was going to preach then that night the gospel portion of this sermon. So it was two-parter, mm. two-part sermon. Mm-hmm. And the, the main part of it was in the morning, People would come back and hear the gospel presentation that night. Well, during the day, London's being bombed by Germany, and there's a bomb. Um, Many were killed, and um, he regretted because he didn't know that if those who would have come back didn't get to come back. Perhaps they were there that morning, and they didn't get to come back because the bombing raid that was made. And... um, it, it changed the way he preached mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. gospel, mm-hmm. Uh, call, every sermon. Yes, yes, tremendous there. So, uh, yes, he, he did preach, or he, he began pastoring right before World War II. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan retired right before World War II uh, began, and so Martin Lloyd-Jones spent the rest of his ministry there uh, up until 1968 when cancer forced his um, retirement. And it was then where he began, if I'm not mistaken, you had mentioned already, he began preparing uh, his sermons and things for publication Right uh, after he stepped down full-time. Right. He, was, he had been contemplating for a while and even talking with his family about retiring. He, he stayed at Westminster for about 
30 years, and he preached to thousands. The crowds were large every time Incredible. he preached. Incredible, yes, um, yes. And there was um, a lot of... Um, a lot of work done with his preaching and, and his preparation. And uh, he began to talk to his family and about retirement. And he was diagnosed with colon cancer mm-hmm. in 1968. And he, he said, this is the Lord giving me this my is, answer. This is the answer to the prayer. <laughs> right. Even though he, he did live yep. uh, 13 years yep. after. And he did a lot of things after that yes. uh, diagnosis. He, he, he had a vibrant uh, public ministry even all through the 70s. and He would travel to rural areas of the United Kingdom and preach in these little churches, mm-hmm. and he became a pastor to the pastors. Yes, yes. Uh, he did a lot of manuscript work, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, about um, doing Romans and Ephesians and preparing his sermons for print. Um, he, uh, he connected um, with his preaching prayer. Prayer was a big part of... Mm-hmm. Uh, what he understood was significant and important to the life of the preacher and to the uh, act of preaching. Yeah, and, and um, again, uh, Christopher Catherwood, his grandson, uh, writes some things about his life and his pastoral ministry at Westminster Chapel. So by the time he was in the 1950s, so this would be post-war, of course, in the 50s, uh, he was preaching three sermons per week. And Jason, you well know the the time and effort it takes to prepare one sermon a week. And so preaching three sermons a week plus doing other pastoral ministry issues with a large congregation, that will wear a man down fairly quickly, as you might expect. But I did think this would be interesting for listeners. Uh, He documents kind of what a typical Sunday would look like. And I really like this personally. I was like, man, it'd be kind of nice to, you know, capture some of this today, uh, because what this did, in my mind, is it set apart the people of God from the culture, this way of doing uh, a Sunday. But Catherwood writes that a typical Sunday at Westminster Chapel with uh, Lloyd-Jones pastoring, uh, food would be placed in the ovens early in the morning, and then there would be the morning service, and then after that would be uh, a lunch in one of the church halls. And then Sunday school for all ages. Then there would be a tea time in one of the church halls. And then there would be a prayer meeting. And then an evening service. And then coffee to close out the day. And so you would have this vibrant hustle and bustle, uh, just a vibrant place of ministry all day on Sundays, which I, I think that's kind of neat. Uh, something for everyone, mm-hmm. food, feed the bellies, feed the hearts, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So right. says one could spend, Catherwood writes this, quote, one could spend around 10 hours in the church, although in many cases the break between lunch and Sunday school often entailed a walk around the park, the local park, or a visit to an art gallery, or even a brief snooze. <laughs> so you that's could... Interesting. Uh, that's, yes. that, I thought that's really neat, uh, just kind of a, maybe something that, that churches today could learn a little bit from with right. their Lord's Day, their Sunday. And, and, he, and he did preach that Sunday morning. He would preach that night. That's right. And he, and he preached uh, Friday nights. That's right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a little strange detail, but didn't he do Ephesians on Friday nights? Was I think so. Was that when he preached his yes. sermons through Ephesians? Yes. Um, so, but yeah, so we did talk about some of his most notable uh, uh, publications, sermons-wise, is Romans. 
Ephesians and the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. I'd say those are the probably the. I think he did publish other things, but um, Banner of Truth has a great hardback set of both of those. Uh, right. Big sermon series. Right. So let let's recommend a couple of books. Sure. One of those would be the two volume series by Ian Murray about Martin Lloyd Jones, his life and his legacy. Um, that is a good, beautiful hardback um, biography of his life. Yeah, and, and along those same lines, uh, there's actually been a newer reprint, revised version of the two the two pack into one volume. So it's a shorter. Uh, this is probably running at uh, the 400, 420 pages. So the other one is quite quite a bit larger with a right. uh, page number. Right. But both of those would be your introduction, your full introduction to right. Lloyd-Jones' life. And there is uh, the feature film from Logic on Fire. Again, it's a DVD. That's uh, the title of it. It's from Media Gratier. Right, right. Logic on Fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, life and Legacy of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And that's yep. uh, worth um, giving time to. I have that in my library um, also, we mentioned preaching and preachers. Yes, if, if that's an interest to you as a listener, uh, that's uh, worth your time. The Sermon on the Mount book that you mentioned yep. earlier in the episode as well. So all of these, uh, if you have questions or if you'd like to know more about any of the resources, you can see Duffy or myself, and we'll be glad to uh, to help you find those. Yeah, and, and there's there's all kinds of resources online. If you just Google his name. You can find all kinds of things online, but I would encourage you. This is a man, although you know many many have found disagreements with him over the years with particular issues. He has certainly been um, an individual who impacted a wide variety interdenominationally of pastors and preachers. Right. With well, his ministry, he was he was, and even is today a healthy pattern for not only preaching but also. Um, sanctification or holiness of life. That's right. He he was exactly. a man who was uh, concerned about holiness and uh, wanted to honor the Lord, wanted to bring glory to Him with exactly. His life. Exactly. And so he was um, maybe a little bit more um, serious about it. Um, he wore a three-piece suit every day. Yep. And when he would go to the beach with his family, he was married, had two daughters. He would wear a three-piece suit. I don't know who would do that today, <laughs> and I don't know if that's a sign of holiness. But the point is, he took serious his life yeah, yeah. and his reputation, um, yep. and then of course his preaching. And so he's a healthy pattern. Um, he not only that, but I think part of the thing that stands out about his preaching um, is very uh, expository. Yes, very. Um, he he would take sometimes months. To, to work through a chapter, um, to work through a book took um, an extra ex- extended amount of time. Yes. But that's what he would do, work verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a New Testament book. Exactly, yep. He was um, able to model the apostolic preaching that we see in the New Testament, uh, and that being to reason out of the Scripture. That's right. So the the apostles would reason out of the Old Testament to preach a sermon. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones was um, uh, an example of that kind of model. Um, Yeah, I I have found great joy and encouragement and edification for myself in 
listening to his sermons. Um, by the way, uh, there is, and I believe that it's part of his family. His family has done this, if I'm not mistaken. But there is an online resource, the MLJ Trust, and we'll have a link to this uh, resource in the show notes on the podcast. But the MLJ Trust has an archive of all of his recorded sermons at Westminster Chapel uh, over you know the course of his ministry, hundreds of sermons that you can listen to, and they're it's all free. Uh, they're categorized very easily. They're by book or by series, so that's easily accessible. So I would heartily commend that to you. Um, yes. Intensely biblical, um, reasonable, like you said, very logical uh, sermons, very easy to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, his voice, lots of lots of people are uh, fond of his voice. He had a very distinctive uh, preaching voice, obviously his accent from where he came. but Right. Um, and I think as with all of the um, old dead guys in this series that we do, I think it is always good if we look beyond the man. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we recognize that uh, God is on his throne. God lives. God's kingdom is unshakable. That's right. It's not dependent on Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's not dependent on John Calvin or Adoniram Judson or Bunyan. Any Bunyan. It's not dependent on the man. Um, it's an unshakable kingdom. Christ lives, and uh, he will build his church, and he will use his servants, but um, those are just servants. Right. And so they pass from the scene. We appreciate their life, their Amen. testimonies. Amen. We can glean from them and learn from them. And um, then we praise God for who he is. That and is God always raises up another to, to take his place, right? Yes, There's right. always another man or a group of men that if you look through down the corridors of church history, uh, he doesn't ever leave his church high and dry necessarily, you know, to use a, a crass metaphor. Right. Uh, he always has a man or, uh, you know, a, a movement maybe even to gr- group of men to uh, carry the baton a little bit further, you know. Uh, so Lloyd-Jones certainly did that. I guess there's probably a good good time to wrap the episode up. There's so much more that we could say. Um, I have been personally impacted by his uh, commitment to the Bible so much. Uh, he, he has kind of just, there's so many other men of the same way, but the way that he preached, but also his firm convictions, uh, did kind of land him in some controversies. It, it, it caused some folks to love him and some folks to kind of shy away from him. But I appreciate that sort of a, a man who knows what he believes, who can, who's no, not afraid to draw a line and say, here I stand, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, so that that has been impactful for me as a young man, as a young minister, you know, someone who's, you know, aspiring uh, to see a man like that who can do that. Right. Um, I don't know what if you have any maybe closing thoughts, closing comments. Maybe no, you already offered those, but right. Well, you know, the one uh, caveat, I guess, to um, play off what you just said, we, we didn't talk about the controversies. Um, and it wasn't because he was inconsistent with Scripture. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because it, there was something in his life that people could point to that was questionable. It wasn't because he created doubts. It was because, as you said, he stood firm on his convictions and what he believed. And uh, he um, believed, for example, that um, 
true Christians ought to um, separate themselves from those um, churches and denominations who seem to be very liberal. And he was staunchly... Um, Anti-ecumenical. Yes. And so yeah. um, that that got him into controversy. And, yep. and if you read some of the, yep. the books that we recommended yep. and listen, you can pick up on some of that. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, there's obviously uh, good wisdom in that, where he stood. You could probably look at it in hindsight and say there's always balance needed, and maybe he was not as, uh, maybe he was a little too rigid in those categories. I don't know. I mean, he was a man living in his time, and he saw lots of, uh, lots of uh difficult issues with the church and so he his his beliefs kept him from um one, one interesting thing is uh he was invited to be a part of the billy graham crusades when they came to london and he said absolutely not i don't want anything to do with that but what's interesting is he had nothing to nothing against billy graham himself he actually affirmed billy graham preached the gospel but he did not like crusades he didn't like the methodology of the way the gospel was being presented and so he didn't disagree with the gospel itself that Billy Graham was preaching, but he did not like the the showy gather everyone, the decisionism. He was very anti-decisionism, where you walk an aisle and you know pray a prayer, and there you there you are a Christian. Um, he was stoutly reformed in his theology, so he believed in a reformed understanding of conversion, that the Holy Spirit is who converts the soul. Um, a mere profession, a mere decision at a crusade. Is not a, he didn't say that it was a biblical uh, concept of conversion. Right. So you can at least admire a man who would say something like that and agree or disagree with him on that. But just one of the examples there uh, that that kind of landed him in you know less popularity, I suppose, as a in as his a pastor. day, in, in his, his day, day. in yeah. his day. So we could say a lot more. Uh, but that's that's it for today's episode. We hope that it's been a blessing to you. Thank you for taking your time today to listen to another episode of the Old Dead Guys series on the Asking for a Friend podcast. Don't forget, before we go, please like and share this podcast with someone that you think would also benefit from it. You can share it on social media. If you're on Facebook, you can share the link of Podbean. Uh, Podbean link on on social media through a text message, through an email, however you share media. And don't forget, lastly, uh, you can always submit us a question on our website, bbcemory.org. Go to the media tab, scroll to the bottom of the page, and there's a place that you can submit us a question to look at it for a future podcast episode. And as usual, until next time, grace and peace be with you all.